0: Mr. Hookshaw, thank you so much for making time for us.
1: It's good to be back with you.
0: Yes. Um, we were wondering is it difficult for you to be so far from home during a pandemic?
1: Uh, it is and it isn't. Uh, the interesting thing about being this far from home, uh, we, we, uh, we miss our grandkids. Uh, yeah. But we talk to them just about every day. And we know that at least for the first 10 weeks of the lockdown in Michigan, uh, we wouldn't have seen him anyway. Uh, our son and daughter-in-law would not have taken our grandkids to see Opa and Oma. Yeah. Uh, we know that they didn't see their other grandpa and grandma during that 10 weeks. So it's kind of like, well, we wouldn't have seen him anyway. But sure, the the issues and the concerns, uh, sure, you'd like to be home. Yeah. But I also frequently say if we're going to be on lockdown, the Netherlands is not a bad place to be locked down.
0: Yeah, uh, why is that?
1: I actually think it's been a pretty intelligent lockdown. Uh, you know, you could always go to just about any store that you wanted to here. Now, there might be restrictions that would say, you know, only three people uh, in the Winkle up in mm-hmm. but, um, you know, you could still go. And in Michigan, you know, there was a period of a number of weeks where all the small stores would were shut. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you couldn't go into the big stores and you couldn't buy paint uh, you know there are certain mm. lots of restrictions that from here didn't appear to make any sense and i think it's run pretty well here in the netherlands
0: yeah yeah that's great to hear um well along with the pandemic there's always there's also been another crisis situation in the united states namely the riots following uh the death uh on uh george floyd's death and um we heard President Donald Trump speaking about the protests uh, over his death and um, from the right from the White House threatening to mobilize the U.S. military uh, to end the, quote, riots and lawlessness. Um, it seems that the administration do- doesn't really have a grip on the situation, and we were wondering how is the administration right now seeking justice against uh, police brutality?
2: Well,
1: remember, the both issues that you've identified uh, – are primarily not the responsibility of Washington, D.C., the president, or that. Mm-hmm. They are the responsibility uh, of our governors and local law enforcement. So the governors make the decision as to how they are going to control the demonstrations, the riots, uh, the violence in our communities. It, uh, it starts with the mayor. Uh, if the mayor believes that they don't have adequate resources, they can request assistance uh, from the governor. Uh, the governor could then could provide typically state police uh, or call in the National Guard uh, to restore order. Same with the prosecution. The Justice Department may get involved uh, in terms of bringing federal charges against this police officer, uh, but the first line of prosecution happens locally.
0: But still, the federal government does have an influence on how governors will react we've seen Trump asking uh, or urging uh, these governors to um, to have total domination over the riots um, how do you see this um, increasing the efforts for uh, you know diminishing police brutality in the United States
1: Well you've got again two different issues one is the philosophy of the administration is we need to keep, the protesters within the framework Mm -hmm. of legality you know we don't want people breaking windows we don't want people looting we don't want people uh injuring other folks we don't want people attacking the police or vice versa uh so that's one uh the second thing is we want and we need the federal government and this could happen through the justice department uh, holding cities and holding law enforcement agencies accountable uh, for what might be called systemic racism or you know, unfair treatment of, in this case, black civilians.
2: I think Sarah might be hinting at a slightly different thing because you're focusing very much right now on policy, which I think completely right there, but I think she's focusing more on the rhetoric Right, so you do we do place a responsibility on the President to be a sort of leader during crisis, right? Someone to be calm, someone that you can really trust to, I guess secure the country and so, for instance, I do want to ask you about a rhetoric question. Trump yesterday on his Twitter, and I understand it 's always quite difficult when people read out tweets, but he said that my administration has done more for the black community than any president since Abraham Lincoln, so I'm just wondering how that improves the country right that is technically. I could argue that that would be actually facilitating more difficulties and chaos in the country when it comes to these crises, right?
1: It, you, could, do you, you, could, you could reach that conclusion. But what do you think, think about it? Well, I mean, I think it's, you know, what the pre, you can't argue with the content. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can say it may or may not be the appropriate time for the president to bring this up. Um, but when you take a look at record low unemployment, for the African com- American yep. community, mm-hmm. uh, when you take a look at rising wages uh, for minority populations, these are things that you know lots of people across the political spectrum have been arguing for uh, for a couple of decades. What are we going to do to raise the standard of living for all Americans? Uh, yes, sir. and and t- mm-hmm. and typically. The you know people would say, well, we've seen wage growth for the middle class. Code words. We've seen you know wage increase for white America, mm-hmm. uh, but we haven't seen it for uh, the African American community. We haven't seen it for this uh, group of Americans. And with the policies that the administration has put in place, they have seen improvement mm-hmm. in what have been long-term issues in America.
2: But could we try to separate the two? Because I think many American citizens are, are quite happy about that, right? There's a valid argument that I would that hope all Americans yeah, all, would be happy everyone about, about that, it, yeah. But yeah. But employment is low. These are great things. But you can still think that those are good measurements, but at the same time think that this tweet is really uncalled for and is actually potentially dangerous, right? This is the big, I would say, largest critique that's often levered against Trump. It's just needless, I guess, tweeting and... I don't know, like, what is your real opinion on the tweet, my administration has done more for the black community than any president since Abraham Lincoln yesterday when protests are going on throughout the country? Like, we can agree that that's just I'm not, not sure we plan. could agree
1: that it's that it's incentivizing
2: conflict, but just not good.
1: Well, well I mean, again, I am sitting, and you, we're both watching the United States from 3,500 mm-hmm. miles away, all right? I don't know what various people, news organizations and everything have been saying about the president and what the exact dialogue that's going on on a daily basis. Okay, are are people saying this is an administration that has done nothing for the African-American community? At which point in time, a response like that might be a perfectly appropriate response. I, I can't get into mm-hmm. the, that kind of finite detail. If I were living... Uh, In Michigan, if I were a member of Congress uh, and I was living through this process in real time and part of the discussion uh, in the United States, I'd be in a much better position to do this than saying, well, you know, hey, here comes this, you know, tweet. Uh, Pete, what do you think? I don't have the context. Yeah, I
0: understand. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But still, we see that um, making statements as threatening to mobilize the U.S. military is um, quite quite the statement to, to make in such times. And um, actually, if you compare it to the um, support that the United States administration has had for the riots uh, past November and October in Hong Kong, we can see that there's quite a difference in, uh, in the support and in the, uh, the response to these, to these riots. So the United States was very supportive of the right to take over the streets um, in Hong Kong, but now protests of the same level are happening in the United States we see a different response. So, Trump is, as I said, urging uh, states to dominate the riots. Um, otherwise, they are, quote, wasting their time. Doesn't this seem at least a little hypocritical to you?
1: Not once you get in, again, you're, take, you're taking two different, at two different mm-hmm. sets of time mm-hmm. and in two different political environments. Yeah, of course. Okay? My daughter lives in Minneapolis. She lived through, and I don't remember exactly the number of nights where. Uh, The streets of Minneapolis appear to have been lawless where she was glad she was in her apartment and she wasn't a mile away uh, riding her bike through town or walking through town and feeling very, very uncomfortable. She felt more comfortable and confident that the community she lives in, a community she loves, that, you know, the National Guard did come in, that the mayor and the governor decided that the National Guard needed to come in and restore law and order. She was tired of... (laughs) people destroying, you know, her downtown in the area that uh, that she lives in. You know, she was glad when, uh, I think it was a, it was either a Trader Joe's or a Whole Foods mm-hmm. moved in, Classic. Uh, you know, a week, or excuse me, a block away from her house.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: They're now boarded up. They were closed for four or five days. Uh, and she hopes that they stay. Yes. All right? And because you'll read in a lot of these, you know, in a lot of these, areas or whatever what's the problem there's no grocery stores you can't go buy groceries so she was she was more confident in her security and the future of her community when she saw that law enforcement along with the national guard was establishing order in her community
0: yes i understand that but i yes. i do think that the riots in the united states um can be compared, at least in level of severity, to the riots that have been happening in Hong Kong in October and November 2019. So how come that the response um, to the riots in the U.S. has been so different to the complete support that um, uh, that has been given to the riots in Hong Kong?
1: Well, two things. I think in both cases, the underlying cause of the riot the United States would be very supportive of, and this administration would be very supportive of. We are against police brutality, all right? We believe in the rights of every individual uh, to a safe and secure uh, life in a safe and secure environment, the due process of law mm-hmm. in Hong Kong, uh, that that these protesters had a right to freedom uh, and to live within the f- uh, the framework that was agreed to upon, what, 25 years ago with the transition uh, of power. Uh, What you don't and what you don't have in the United States is a tolerance for a protest that is very, very appropriate, saying this is what we want as Americans, you know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Okay, it's right there at the beginning. And to then take that and to move that into protest where you're breaking through windows, you're burning police cars, mm-hmm. uh, and you are looting stores. That's, that's we're not, that's not then, who we are.
0: Let me ask you a different question. When, yes. When, when the riots are over, what is going to happen against police brutality then?
1: Well, the, you'll, you'll see a number of things. I mean, we've gone through this. We went through it with Ferguson. Uh, and we've had some other cases against this. Mm-hmm. Uh, there will be, we'll do uh, a research study. Mm-hmm. Okay, exactly how severe is this problem of police brutality? Um, but it's pretty severe, is so, it? Well, uh, I'm, yeah. not gonna, I'm not going to, I'm not going to make a judgment on whether you know what what is severe and what is not. Okay, we know that that what what happened uh, a, li- <laughs> a little over a week ago was awful. Yep. Okay, I think. I would like to believe that anybody who's looking at that tape uh, is going to say, God, you know, what happened here? Not only to the the law enforcement official who had their knee on, on George's neck, but also the three people that were standing around him and didn't do anything. Okay. And so, but I think I'm not willing to go from, that and say, you know, it's awful in America. Okay. Again, you'll find that there are tremendous number of law abiding, very honorable people in our police Mm -hmm. force who go out on a daily basis and risk their lives. But you know, we will go out and they will find out, uh, try to identify what the problem is here is, you know, uh, is it is it poor in these cases where was it a poor selection process? Was it a, a poor management process? I've, I've read reports. I don't have all the details and that, but people have said that, you know, there have been complaints about at least some of these four officers before. Um, yeah. You know, were, were not appropriate steps taken? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, but hopefully that's what's going to go through there. And then they will take a look at, um, you know, the underlying causes and that, we will develop policies, procedures, training, uh, broader social reform policies uh, that will address
2: you, this problem. So, I think the sentiment, the premise is that something does need to change. But could you just really pinpoint like a specific change, like what will actually? So, the selection procedure. I'm, what will know, I'm not.
1: I'm not again. I'm You're not, not gonna, there. No, okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not
2: there. Um, But there is agency to change things within these policies. Well, clearly,
1: there's a a need to understand and address this problem.
2: Okay? Yeah. Let's move on to China. I have a quote here by the Secretary of State. This is a Chinese Communist Party that has come to view itself as intent upon the destruction of Western ideas, Western democracies, Western values. It puts Americans at risk. Pretty intense statement what is the United States' future relationship with China coming outside of this pandemic?
1: Well, I think it's not only what is the, uh, what's the agenda for the United States, what's the agenda for like-minded allies, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. for Western democracies? What's yeah. the re- what's, what does this mean for Europe? What does it mean for South Korea, for Japan and Australia? I think it's going to be we need to confront China, you know, in 2001, when I was in Congress, we had a vote on what was called the permanent normal trade relations with China, whether to allow China into mm-hmm. the WTO. Mm-hmm. Uh, I voted against it. We, we had been going through uh, an annual process where every year we would have a vote as to whether China would have those privileges. It was a leverage point to try to get China uh, to change. Yeah. And I thought we still needed that leverage. There were the people that were on the other side of this said, hey, if we can get China into the WTO, they will reform themselves. They will respect intellectual property. They will do this whole series of uh, reforms that will make them you know, more like us in terms of respecting human rights and, and all of those types of things. That did not happen. And so China is a huge market. But we have to recognize that at the same time, the Chinese Communist Party embraces a whole set of values that we in the West do not embrace. So
2: what does that confrontation look like? Because we can agree that there's a problem, something needs to change. What is the United States government or the allies, for that matter, going to do?
1: Well, I think there's a a number of things. Mm -hmm. Number one is a reaffirmation that the most important relationship that we each have is the transatlantic relationship. The United States has no better partner than Europe, and Europe has no better partner than the United States, And that we need to streamline and strengthen our trade relationship. There's still room for improving that trade relationship by reducing tariffs and making each other the most attractive market for us to do business with. Uh, we need to continue to strengthen uh, our investment in national security uh, mm-hmm. capabilities. Uh, so this is where... You know, we, we do need a NATO. NATO has, you know, kept Western Europe safe and secure for 70 years. That mission continues to evolve and is still very, very necessary.
2: You're concerned?
1: No, I think, no, I mean,
2: the... Um, Not scared, but you're treating it as a real concern. If you're the, increasing national security spending, that's pretty...
1: Well, no, but uh, what, what we... This goes back to 2014, mm-hmm. Okay, where we uh, where the members of NATO identified a series of capabilities that we needed to have to keep NATO strong and relevant. Uh, And some there have been some more emerging threats in terms of cybersecurity and uh, and those types of things that we now need additional capabilities for. But this decision was made back in 2014 that it was reaffirmed. We need a strong Mm -hmm. NATO that meets the challenges of today. Uh, getting back to the China yeah, issue, what, what yeah. does it also then entail? Uh, it entails starting to outline expectations of behavior for, for China and that says, we want to integrate you from a, a, an economic standpoint. But that means that when uh, you've got inventors and entrepreneurs who develop a new product and a new capability and they patent it uh, and they have intellectual property – that means you can't go rip it mm-hmm. off, yeah. okay? Uh, it means that if you, if a Dutch company or an American company wants to go and do business in China, we can go do business in China the same way that we allow Chinese companies to come and do business in the United States. We allow, you know, we'll allow comp- a Chinese company to the United States and they can set up their wholly owned subsidiary. You go into yeah. China with an American company or a Dutch company. It's kind of like, oh, by the way. Uh, you can own forty nine percent, and China will own fifty one percent. Now, no, we will, we will, we will have reciprocity. We will have the same access uh, for our goods and services uh, into China that you have into the West. Uh, there are also human rights expectations. Uh, you cannot continue to uh, prosecute, uh, persecute. Uh, the Uyghurs and these types of things. But so it becomes, an, uh, and we want China to be a clean country, that there are envir- environmental standards, you know, basically between the United States and Europe, we have equivalency, meaning the outcome of the, the work that we do uh, uh, in our economy. We're able to keep our environment clean. We're able, able to keep our air clean. We take a different approach at doing that than Europe, but there's an equivalency, um, and that there's an expectation that China will rise to that standard. And if they don't, if they don't, we have there. There's a possibility that we create a, a green environment zone, which would be you know Europe, the United States, uh, people that have certain minimal criteria in place, and say, oh, by the way. If you're if you don't meet these criteria, uh, s- shipping into the green zone,
0: mm-hmm.
1: there'll be a 15% tariff. Okay.
0: And what would these criteria look like?
1: Well, it would look very much in terms of uh, water quality, air quality. Uh, you go right down the list. The things that we in the United States and you in Europe uh, measure, and the things that you believe are important to restoring. Mm-hmm. And improving the environment of Europe or the United States.
0: Yeah. So...
2: Could I just quickly... Just one more question. Sorry. Because you were mentioning... Because I I appreciate this answer. I think it's a good one, right? The increased expectations for China is something you want in regards to intellectual property. But we haven't been having this issue for the last decade. Sure you have. So, like, how... We've been having this. We've been yeah. having
1: this issue with China for the last twenty but it, years. Exactly,
2: but how? Because we've been having issues with intellectual property to begin with for the last decade, and now we're going to say, "Respect intellectual property." Like, how exactly is that going to change now that you just write down your expectations before?
1: Well, right? what um, we're actually going to put teeth into the policy. We've, you know, yeah. this is why they. This is why we by having <coughs> them come into the WTO. The expectation was. They will respect intellectual property. They haven't. They haven't changed their behavior. So it's now incumbent on Europe and the United States to say, okay, we gave you 20 years. You haven't changed your behavior. I think Mm -hmm. many of us believe we should have changed that behavior and become more firm with them 10 years ago uh, when it became clear, the pattern became clear that, hey, guys, they're not going to change their behavior. Mm -hmm. They're going to continue to rip us off. Uh, and rip our entrepreneurs our inventors off and they're going to take some of the most valuable stuff we have our our intellectual capital up up there uh and they're going to steal it Mm -hmm. uh and but we decided you know we're not going to confront it 10 years ago uh we now need to confront it okay and we we will hold them accountable in our court systems we will hold them account accountable in, in europe's legal framework uh and we may need to have access uh, into the, the Chinese system. I mean, the, the best way to respect intellectual property for a European, for an American that rips you off, you can come to the American court system and you're going to get justice. Mm-hmm. We yeah. will protect your intellectual property. We expect the same thing when we come here to Europe. Mm-hmm. What we need is the Chinese government to do the same thing in China.
0: Mm-hmm. I think that's very important to touch on, on these, um, these common values. And I think, especially in this pandemic, a common value um, that is highly needed is transparency. And um, we've seen that that's been a big criticism um, towards China during this pandemic, uh, supposedly lack of transparency. And that has been also one of the reasons to um, withdraw the contribution uh, from the WHO. And we were wondering, how is the country that's been given Uh, giving the largest contribution to the who how is withdrawing that contribution an improvement for everyone
1: it's much better than giving 400 450 million dollars to an organization that doesn't work but we now we now have 450 million dollars from the united states Mm -hmm. uh that we can pump into organizations that will actually make a difference
0: so what are the concrete changes that you would like to see happening in the who then
1: Well, the the concrete changes is we'd like them to call it as they see it. When Mm -hmm. they see a pandemic breaking out in China, we'd like them to call it out and say, hey, there's a pandemic breaking out in China, and we'd like to see them do it, you know, very, very much at the forefront.
2: But a bit more specific, because, I mean, they got wrong information. They processed that incorrectly. Then
1: identify where you got the wrong information from. You got it from the Chinese Mm -hmm. government, and the Chinese government wasn't being transparent at the same time that the WHO was defending China and calling out their... You know their excellent response uh, to uh, the COVID crisis. They've they've not been honest brokers throughout this process.
0: But doesn't the four hundred and fifty million dollar contribution from the United States also give a certain bargaining power inside the the uh, organization?
1: And possibly, okay. We've sent, we you know we approached our our allies uh, to confront. And the interesting thing here is. I couldn't find, I, I don't think we can find anybody in our Western partners or alliance that didn't recognize and call for the reform uh, in an investigation of the WHL.
0: So how come the United States is the only country to withdraw its contribution then?
1: Well, you'll have, you know, we don't decide what the Dutch do. We don't decide what the French and what the Any Germans speculation? do.
2: What's that? Any speculation?
1: That's for them to uh, answer those questions for you. The United States said, you know, uh, short of fundamental change within the WHO, uh, we're going to take that money and we're going to invest it where we think we can actually make a meaningful difference, uh, and where those dollars can actually uh, have an impact. We're not going. We're not going to continue putting money into an organization that we think that that it doesn't work. Now, the. The people that are left uh, in the WHO, they can say, okay, you know, we still see this as the way to go. We recognize it needs reform. Uh, they can lead the reform effort. We're, we'll be more than willing to contribute to that with suggestions and those kinds of things. And if the WHO reforms itself, mm-hmm. the, the opportunity, always, uh, opportunity always exists for the United States to come back uh, and, again, become part of it.
0: So it has been a couple of weeks since the withdrawal since the withdrawal um, of the contribution. Have you seen any concrete changes since since then?
1: I, I don't you know the, uh, there have been some countries that have been consistent through this process. Australia has been very, very consistent in demanding uh, reform uh, from the WHO. I don't see having them I don't see them having pulled out yet and I don't s- haven't seen yet uh, a serious attempt to outline the specific reforms that need to happen with the WHO right now.
0: So do you think they're less concerned about these issues?
1: You'll have to ask them. Okay, I'm not, yeah.
2: So, because I'm having a little bit of difficulty understanding, because at the same time the World Health Organization is just an international organization with a bunch of member states that are supposed to have equal weighting, right? And the Chinese government was able to put Tedros in, if we believe that theory, So wouldn't just the argument be is to just change the authority of the World Health Organization? It doesn't get more complex than that.
1: That could be a reform, yeah. Or to change the leadership.
2: Yeah, so I guess what we're also going on is because it seems a bit odd for us that a country that has been giving $450 million, very much more than any other country within the World Health Organization, loses so much power. So for instance, how did China, that's giving a $44 million donation, End up so much in control.
1: The um, you got a couple of things. Number one, yeah. we are the largest donor, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, in terms of, do- you know, a single chunk. Uh, but a lot of our allies, uh, on a per capita basis, you know,
2: donate more. Now
1: nah, they donate about donate about roughly the same.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, so it's not that they're way above us, yeah. uh, way below us. Uh, we're all rel- I think we're all pretty relatively close in a band. Of uh, depending on, I think we do it in, in two-year tranches and uh, others. You know, but it, it, it's kind of like a, a, there's a band of uh-huh. uh, of us that are all relatively close. Uh, I think in uh, in certain cases the uh, we you know the United States and maybe others didn't pay enough attention to exactly where this organization was going or what it was doing. Uh, you know, it's kind of like it's out there. I mean, we're we're partners to hundreds of these organizations, and we didn't pay enough attention. Um, and now, when actually a pandemic comes out, uh, it's like, whoa, what are these people yeah. doing? Uh, and we and you look at their performance and say, whoa, then this is this is clearly a problem. Um, and it may be a problem that we sh- you, you could argue that said, you know, you should have seen this earlier. Uh, yes. And and that could be true, or it's kind of like the weaknesses didn't pop up until. Uh, you actually ran into a pandemic and then you watched exactly how it worked. Did it step up to the challenge uh, or did it fall far short?
0: So if you're seeing that it's falling far short right now, so you' so the critic is that the criticism is that the WHO is getting um, way more China centric. Doesn't stepping out of the WHO only give more room for China's influence? That would be the logical reasoning that would apply to this.
1: It may have it may have more China may have more impact uh, in the WHO. Sure, okay. that's Isn't that problematic? Well, we can't. You know, we we believe that there's we believe that there's another way to address this pandemic uh, outside of the WHO. And uh, as we develop the patterns and the relationships to, you know, deal with this pandemic and to deal with future uh, issues along this line, if a more effective way to develop if more effective way is identified to develop, then the WHO becomes irrelevant.
2: So then it's China, not China. the concern of reforming the World Health Organization.
1: We, the preference would be to reform the World Health Organization. They have a built-in capacity and capability. All right. So, uh, but short of reform, then it's kind of like no, we're not going to contribute. Continue to contribute. We're not going to continue contributing to an organization that is going to waste our money.
2: But. Like, I'm just wondering if you can reason with me, because I think there is a pragmatic. I'm not sure answer. I can reason you from yeah. No, I'm, I'm just wondering because I think there's plenty of people that think it wasn't great what the World Health Organization has done. They're concerned about China's influence. And then they are even doubly concerned because now organizations where the United States could maybe serve as a leader actually have the influence that they're required. Now they're reducing that chance. Right? So is it necessarily mutually exclusive? having to withdraw the $450 million while also trying to produce the right reform changes for the international institution.
1: Well, it, it now becomes a responsibility for someone else, uh, for you know, the EU, uh, other countries, uh, to go into the World Health Organization or to invite the mm-hmm. United States back in and say, we're going to be serious about reform. Uh, and here specifically is what we're going to do. And we need you to help us do that.
2: It's a little bit of an American first mentality. No, yeah, it's what? America Seems like first. It Why America first? Well, just because, right. I think I'm not trying to do a real trope, but everyone's looking for a bit of solidarity right now. People are universally struggling. And then the international organization, which made mistakes, don't get me wrong. You have one of the major players dropping out. And then, you know, if the reforms don't come, it's kind of eh, it's they'll figure it out. You know, you yeah, understand it, why that's a little bit No, I difficult. don't, because
1: the, the, the problem here is not the World Health Organization. Okay?
2: It's a symptom of a larger issue. The, of-
1: the issue is confronting and defeating the pandemic. That is what the yeah. United States is focused mm-hmm. on. Um, and so, you know, we have been extremely generous helping people around the world, helping countries around the world, sending $100 million to Italy, a quote-unquote rich country. Uh, where we normally do mm-hmm. not send aid. Uh, we, we develop and expand the relationship with Philips so that they can build more ventilators and respirators uh, in the United States of America. We send, uh, I think it's 486 million, something like that. Uh, we send it to Janssen here mm-hmm. in uh, the Netherlands uh, to develop a vaccine and begin building, I think, uh, a production facility that may never be used for this vaccine. But if their vaccine is successful, to cut down the uh, the investment time, uh, you know, it's, instead of doing things, boom, 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 and say, okay, if you do it this way, it's going to take four years. Mm-hmm. But if you do the testing of the, the development of the vaccine and the testing of the vaccine at the same time that you're building the production facility for that vaccine, mm-hmm. it's like, well, that's going to shorten yeah. us by... 12, yeah. 18 months. Uh, I think uh, we have contributed uh, or set aside uh, four to five billion dollars to share. We, we I think we also just did it with a company in the UK. Mm-hmm. Uh, same thing. Yeah. Uh, investments to allow companies to shorten the time to get to a vaccine, yeah. and those are American dollars. That's what we're. You know, we're not sure. We can, We'd love the WHO to 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 work first. And if we said, hey, like you said, America first, "Ah, we're taking our money and we're going home and we're just going to, yeah, we're Mm -hmm. just going to fix this pandemic for the United States Mm -hmm. uh, and the rest of the world, forget it. But that's not what we're doing. We're providing aid around the world Mm -hmm. and we are investing generously in getting to a pandemic uh, with the requirements that when we get to a a vaccine that that fact that the production facilities will be available uh, so that those vaccines will very quickly be available on a global mm-hmm. supply.
0: So you're mentioning some domestic policy changes and some efforts that are um, put into defeating this virus domestically. so let's take a look about on what the current administration could have done better in your opinion.
1: in terms of the uh, the pandemic Yes. Well, remember, in in the United States, what we do is, it's not the, it's not, again, it's not Washington. Washington provides information Mm -hmm. to the states who then also have their own health officials. And then we, you know, we we ended up with at least 50 different models Mm -hmm. for how to confront, contain, and ultimately defeat the pandemic.
0: Yeah.
2: What about the Defense Act, right? That's something that the president, federal government, can utilize right, in this, regards to the pandemic.
1: Uh, we did. This is what we used with, with Phillips. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there were, com- you know, there were media outlets here that said, "Oh, you know, they're doing the Defense Act because then when Phillips builds respirators, the United States can claim them all for themselves." Yes. Wrong. Of course, they never wrote the story that it was wrong, uh, because what we did with the with Phillips. And I was talking to Phillips and I was talking to the White House and others in Washington pretty much on a daily basis. And what Phillips was saying, Pete, we need the White House to use the Defense Production Act, Procurement Act for our benefit. If they give us a piece of paper that says Phillips falls under this law, we can take that to our suppliers, which then means that our suppliers have to produce our parts first, And if we need more, they have to produce more of our parts before they go on and do something else. That enables us then to quickly ramp up production. Uh, So instead of producing 40,000 ventilators, maybe we can do 50, maybe we can do 60,000 ventilators in that same amount of time. Uh, And that's exactly how it was implemented. And, you know, uh, again, Europe... uh,
2: Let's stay on the U.S.
1: We'll stay on on the U.S. because the the U.S. has been very, very uh, open in sharing our technology, our capabilities, and our products uh, with the rest of the world. Uh, There have been other places Mm -hmm. in the world that have been more restrictive in saying, we're going to keep this for ourselves before we make it available anywhere else.
2: Yeah, so I think actually right now there's also a surplus of ventilators, if I'm not mistaken, because of the current administration. They actually produce more, but on a different yeah. variable, testing, right? Because Fauci was saying in the beginning, there was a big question of why were we not able to mobilize at the time, right, in regards to testing. Do you think that in hindsight, maybe Trump or the current administration should have used the Defense Act for testing in order to get the adequate supply?
0: I
1: don't know. You don't know? Okay. I mean, I don't, I don't have the specifics on that. The I know that testing has been a problem, um, you know, all around. I think uh, mm-hmm. just here in the, uh, in the Netherlands, uh, they finally opened it up for more testing uh, two days ago. Uh, yeah. on, well, you know, uh, on June one, they opened it up for more testing. Yeah. They okay. They they were very mm-hmm. restrictive uh, on on the testing, and again, it's been different. Uh, there's been a different patchwork of testing, I think, across the states as well.
2: Yeah, because I've been having difficulty with this thing, which is that Trump was blaming the previous administration for having bad test, bad broken tests, and obsolete tests, right? And there's an argument that the mobilization of tests had been kind of lackluster in the United States. So according to the experts, not enough tests have actually been produced. So I'm wondering, using Trump's own logic, can we actually blame the current administration for being somewhat problematic with the lack of tests that they produced? I don't know how fast
1: you can build the test or ramp Mm -hmm. up the production for that. Okay. Okay.
2: Okay.
0: Yeah. I think we should also separate the conversation between rhetoric and actual policy changes. So don't you think it would be possible that... Different rhetoric could cause also a different reaction among citizens' behavior and attitude uh, regarding the virus. Um, a leader has a great representative uh, function, and um, especially during crises like these, mm-hmm. don't you think, um, or actually, do you think that President Trump is setting the right example?
1: The um, there's a, you can always have discussions about should have said this or should have said that and mm-hmm. these kinds of things. I think the president has been. Uh, You know, very, very optimistic in terms of developing the medical protocols that would have enabled treatment uh, of this, the development proactively in terms of of a vaccine, uh, encourage, you know, and the, um, you know, and I think in some ways uh, he listened, uh, he listened pretty strongly to the medical advice that he was getting. I think it will be interesting in 6 to 9 to 12 months uh, to hear the president do an analysis uh, of his performance uh, during Mm -hmm. this crisis, weighing the decisions that he made from a health standpoint, from an economic standpoint, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and – see where see exactly yeah. where we are i i i have an idea i of th- some of the things that he might say mm-hmm. um like what yeah i'll let the president yeah. say yeah. it. but i i think you know i i'm sure that the um, you know because of, you know and i and i see it here in the netherlands as well i hear people say hey, you know you need to listen to the health experts you need to listen to the health experts was, the health experts only give you a, a context. Mm-hmm. They don't tell you what to do, okay? Of course, the, but I think that's exactly
0: the point that I want to touch upon. Great. That um, it's, of course, incredibly diff, uh, incredibly difficult to um, handle during a crisis, during a, during a pandemic, when not all information is provided to you this is a completely new virus. No one knows how to handle this virus correctly. Um, but I do think that rhetoric and consistency in arguments and in attitude towards citizens is an, ing- is an incredibly um, important aspect of leadership. I want to touch upon humility and um, ability to reflect. We've seen that Donald Trump has tweeted, sorry for bringing up tweets again, on March 13th that he doesn't take responsibility at all. Um, I'm just wondering... Is that a sign of good leadership during a pandemic like this? Is this setting a right example and standing as a great leader?
1: Well, all I can say is that every time somebody brings up tweets, Mm -hmm. um, I don't have the context of the tweets. Somebody comes in and they they go back and they, you know, this is March 13th, April, May, June. So that's almost three months ago, okay? And you're asking me for my response to a Trump tweet 10
2: weeks ago. But you don't need much context, right? It's sure you do. Characters. I mean,
1: it's, I don't know what question or what the debate was during that day. Of course, yeah, you need. Well, I think uh, it was, a, a I need, think need a context. I of can it. give
0: you a little context around. You'll that give same me a
1: part t- of the context, but I'm sorry. I've learned with the Dutch media that
2: hey, we're Americans.
1: Uh, yeah, we're Americans. Yeah, yeah. We're Americans, we, but we, I mean, what what I've this. learned if I'm gonna if I'm going to respond specifically to what was in a tweet or something like that. Uh, and I'm not fully aware of the context. I'll go and take a look myself and establish what the context was back then, rather than for someone saying, "Well, Pete, here was the context. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now, what do you say?" Uh, because we can look at the same different kind of events. I look at it through the eyes of an ambassador. I look at it through the eyes of a former congressman. Mm-hmm. Uh, you look through it as, as an eye, uh, through the eyes of a journalist, and you, there are certain things that you see. There are certain things that I may see, which means that we can take a look at it and mm-hmm. we can see a very, very different context uh, for exactly the same question. Yeah. Would, would but but I, I, do, same I
0: do think that I'm now bringing up this tweet just as an example, but I think it's a pretty consistent phenomenon of... Um, maybe lack of humility uh, by President Trump. You know, he, during the pandemic, he's been spreading a false accus- accusation of murder against a rival. He's been playing golf. He's been refusing to wear a mask. Um, and he's been fighting with social, social media platforms like Twitter, um, who apply, which applied fact checks to his tweets. Mm-hmm. You know, is this the right example, the right leader that we need during extremely fragile times like these?
1: The, this is a president that with an economic crisis... Uh, you know, within, I'm not sure exactly how long it took from when many of the states started going down uh, to a lockdown, but relatively quickly passed a $2.2 trillion stimulus package that was passed by the House, which was passed by the Senate, 96 to nothing, which passed through the House of Representatives on... A voice vote so there may have been people that there's you know, one one Republican well they, they, they on a voice vote you don't know how many okay you don't mm-hmm. know how Trump many went after him after but, but, they, but you don't know okay. I don't <laughs> know if <laughs> I, I don't know if it was one or or if it was 217 I've been there okay when it's a voice vote the the only ruling is from the chair the person mm-hmm. sitting at the front and he that person says you know yeah. the you know according to the voice vote the eyes have it.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it was one voice. But well, I, 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 this conversation. But <laughs> but I'm sure there
1: weren't I'm sure there weren't 435 people there when they had the yeah, voice vote. Yeah, fair, fair. Okay, it was it was a uh, there there were enough people there that the person uh, in the chair could say a quorum being president, mm-hmm. the eyes have it. Yeah. Okay, so I you know at this point in time uh, you know the only record is that it passed by a voice vote. Uh, which means, in most cases, it's non-controversial. Because if it's a controversial mm-hmm. vote, uh, then, the pers- then then someone would typically stand up mm-hmm. and say, I demand the yeas and the nays. Yep. Which mm-hmm. means I want all 435 members of Congress on record yeah. saying, I was either in favor of this bill or I was opposed to it.
2: Yeah. I, I still want to go back to the style. Sure. I think we can have a nuanced conversation about this. Because I don't think President Hookstra would be acting as President Trump right now. And what you just said before is that, the I think some of the issues, especially with Fauci, this is a critique that's given, that medical professionals, experts in these fields, are only one side. They're experts in their specific field. When you apply that to politics, economics, it's a very different way mm-hmm. how those things come into fruition. But she is right when asked about the results of the pandemic that Trump said, I don't take any responsibility, right? But he's exactly that person, right, that should be taking that responsibility when it comes to these kind of analyzing what to do with the data that's at his disposal, right?
1: Well, yeah, but you're not going to get me to accept her tweet. Uh, okay, and, okay, uh, okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. okay, okay. It was a, yeah. it was a good try though, just yeah, to, yeah, yeah. to, to slip that in, but uh, didn't work. It was the, just it, an it, example, uh,
0: Mr. Oksana. Huh? Yeah. Right.
2: <laughs> but I've uh, yeah. Okay. Let me give another analogy, and I wonder what your okay. take is on this. I think fewer Americans would be scared if Mike Pence was our president as opposed to Donald Trump. Do you have any idea why I may think that? I mean,
1: the um, you,
2: you can think that. That's fine. But you know President Pence, right? You can understand why I might. Because I, I know Vice
1: President yeah. Pence, yes. I yeah. served with him for 10 years in the House. Yeah, so, and yeah.
2: I, I think he's a very honorable man. And for instance, even the Guardian, which is pretty, I would say, let's say, call it left-wing for now, I said, strangely competent Mike Pence finds his 9-11 moment in coronavirus crisis. And you have, for instance, DeSantis, the governor of Florida, saying that, if the federal government is doing something, that will carry a lot of weight for me, right? So let's imply that there is responsibility on the federal government Absolutely. to influence governor behavior. Now, I've got a day message between two, and I'll be giving you the context if you want it, but said- Part Ken of the said, context, but yes, yeah. Yeah, he said that coronavirus represents a very serious threat to senior citizens with senior uh, serious underlying health conditions. COVID-19 is typically 10 times deadlier than the flu. Then you have Trump three days before. So last year, 37,000 Americans died from the common flu, It averages between 27,000, 70,000 per year. Nothing is shut down. Life and the economy continue, uh, go on. At this moment, there are 546 cases. Think about that, okay? So you have a different, you can agree that that's a different form of rhetoric between the two. And I've seen press briefings where Mm -hmm. when Mike Pence is talking, the press actually ask, is this how it's always going to be in a sense that it's more clear and it's more coherent? Like, you know him. I think... A lot of Americans would be less concerned if they had someone as stoic and I think as calm as Vice President Pence in charge as opposed to Donald Trump. I, I don't
1: know. Okay. I mean, I, I, I know Mike. I like Mike. Mike has served as the uh, the chairperson of mm-hmm. this uh, task force. I think he's done a great job at doing that. Uh, I think the president, in, in the statement that you're reading— uh is also talking about some of these things and i'm not sure that i inherently i see a conflict
2: but are, are you not able to answer the question cuz i understand that too if you're not comfortable with it but i think you understand where i'm getting at right
1: i understand that there are a lot of people that do not like the style of this president mm-hmm.
2: yes but the style for, i think a lot of people in the beginning understand trump is this brutal kind of i would say more direct person in the sea of politics right and there's been benefits to that in certain cases for that side but especially now, when you have a pandemic and the potential for a lot of people dying, I could understand that that doesn't work the best in this context, right?
1: Yeah, you know, the president has as an objective the, the health, the safety, uh, and well-being of, of, the Mar- of Americans. And I think that that is always, The priority for whoever is in those offices, uh, whether it's in governors uh, or whether it's the President of the United States. Eventually and ultimately, they will be evaluated on whether they protected the health and safety Mm -hmm. and well being of the American citizens.
2: But can Uh, you make that evaluation?
1: Not right now. Not right now. I mean, you can't, you don't have all the information, okay? Mm um, the, we will have a lot more information in in 12 to 18 months. Uh, we'll have a lot more information in three years. Okay. I mean, we, we have no idea at this point in time what the economic impact long-term will be. Okay. Based on the damage that has been done by the shutdowns, um, and how, quickly and effectively the measures that are being taken by Congress, uh, by state governments uh, to respond to the the economic downturn, how effective they will be? Mm -hmm. Are the plans that are being put in place, are they the appropriate plans and the best plans to restore the health of the economy?
0: Yeah. So, I think one thing we can agree upon is that there's
1: probably lots of things we can agree on yeah
0: i'll just name one example we want we we all want to get to the bottom of this right we want to know the truth what's behind the pandemic and um we've seen your recent tweet that you've been having lunch with jensen and you've been discussing uh that it's time to find truth uh it's time for truth so what should we learn from your conversation with jensen
1: that I learned more about Dutch politics and a, a unique insight. What would you learn? That there are a lot of people uh, who are in favor of, you know, a, a smaller government mm-hmm. uh, and those types of things. And, you know, but, you know, it's it's like my job is, to, part of my job is to report back to the United States about the political situation in the Netherlands. Of course. So I... I have I s- I have gone to the party congress for the uh, for Terry Baudet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have gone to the uh, party congress for uh, the Labor Party. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I've I've had lunch with with Clover today, uh, but still, well I d-
0: d- <laughs> I do think that there is a slight difference in meeting up with. Claver, or, or with political parties as opposed to robert jensen who is who's known as one of the biggest conspiracy theorists in the netherlands um so i think and who he has might a, who be, has
1: a fairly significant following in the does, netherlands he does he does he so does and i'm I, i'm i'm thinking i'm not quite sure we've we've set the date uh but there was a, a columnist who was very critical of me meeting with jensen
2: I've, we impl- understand I his point what's that I think some people are uncomfortable. Do you understand why they may? No, because I'm yeah. having lunch with him, too. But you're, you don't and understand a, at all the, why some people find it a little bit odd. Not when you have side. a
1: major political or a, someone that has, I believe, hundreds of, th- mm-hmm. hundreds of thousands of followers here in the Netherlands uh, and saying, I'm going to meet with him. Mm-hmm. All right, Where is the tolerance of the Dutch in terms of saying, as an American ambassador, you can't meet with these people in Dutch society?
0: Okay, but I still think that um, if I read your tweet that, that you're both agreeing on that it's time for truth. What truth are you agreeing upon?
1: No, we're not agreeing on any truth. It's it's mm-hmm. it's it's the it's, it's mm-hmm. search for truth. All right, uh, and a search for understanding. Mm-hmm. And so you know, I will have if I have a um, you know, I've got lunch with um, you know a number of political party leaders uh in, in the in the coming weeks and by talking to each of them i will be able to report and give a better assessment uh for my uh, that we as a team will have as to what are the dynamics of dutch politics yeah uh, than if i just talk to one or if I just talked to four or five of the political parties, or if I just talked to the coalition uh, party members and said, "Oh, okay, I talked to the coalition. They're in power. I now understand Dutch politics." Mm-hmm. If I talked to you know, right now, I don't know how many political parties there are. Uh, Too many. It's, it's, Too it's, many. I think we're. At, I think we may be to, to 15 or 60. If, but you know, it's kind of like my objective would be to talk to all of them. Uh, and in the last uh, in the last 12 to 18 months, we probably. Uh, have a pretty consistent pattern of reaching out uh, and talking with at least 12 of them. Yeah. Uh, and the, you know, there's two that uh, there's two or three that just refuse to say, Pete, we, you know, uh, we, we really have no interest in sitting down and talking with you. It's kind of mm-hmm. like, okay, that's
2: fine. Yeah. Cause I, I want to talk to you about this conundrum that I think you understand, which is at the same time, the difficulty with Jensen is that he is someone that has provided disinformation and, and you know that he has some conspiracy theories, but, Operating on the, I guess, principles we laid out before, the entire issue with the COVID pandemic, to a certain degree, is that we listen to China because it was notoriously providing disinformation. But at the same time, there's no issue with you having a conversation with Jensen, who's also known for providing disinformation. Can you hold the two different applications separate or should we be consistent in both? Do you get where I'm going with this? No, I mean, we're still talking yeah. to China.
1: Yeah, but okay, it's, we it's talk to China every day. Right. I mean, the president is talking with China. We uh, this through this whole pandemic thing. It is, it's not like we've said, we are no longer talking to China.
2: But there's an We understanding, are talking mm-hmm.
1: to China and we are confronting yep. them
2: on this issue. You're but talking think, to I China, think... but also sorry, you're speaking to China, and you're saying you're denouncing some of the things that they've done, which is the disinformation to the World Health Organization, and you're speaking with Jensen. Right? Is there something you can denounce and say that you completely? It's disagree not my with them? job in not the Netherlands.
1: Challenge. It's not my job in the Netherlands to denounce any one of your political uh, okay. parties or political consultants and those types of things. Like I said, we're going to be meeting. Uh, you know, we're, we're going to have some. Uh, we're going to have, you know, some inform. I, you know, uh, some interesting discussions and dialogue mm-hmm. here with people. You're saying, wow. You know, yeah. Pete's Pete's meeting with them. I wouldn't expect them to meet with him. Um, you know, I spent uh, I spent a half a day with the um, um, with the, the folks from DINK. Mm-hmm. Had dinner with them, and we went through uh, uh, Skidum.
0: because
1: mm-hmm. we sent the letter to all the political parties and said, yeah. hey. also Also,
2: Bitterbala. Yeah, no,
1: I don't think we had Bitterbala. <laughs> <coughs> you know what we went to we we sent the letter to all the political mm-hmm. parties, mm-hmm. Yeah. saying, "Hey, Pete, would love to meet with you 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 tell us how you'd like to do it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Baudet
1: calls back and says, "Hey, I want you to come to my party Congress. Would you please speak at my party congress?" yeah I yeah. said, fine, it's an opportunity for me not to denounce Terry Baudet or whatever, but for me to go to three thousand people and tell them america's story mm-hmm. and America 's priorities, um, yeah. like I said, I got invited to the labor conference Mm -hmm. i went dink called and said you know pete what we'd really like to do is we'd like you to we'd like you to come to skidum we want to walk with you through the community Mm -hmm. uh we've got some people we'd like you to meet with and then we'd like you to stay and have dinner with the with some of our members or some of the people from the community so seven or eight hours later i go back home yeah and it was it was perfect yeah
0: well pete it's been quite the conversation uh, thank you so much for making time for us. Just one final question. What's the thing that you're looking forward to most when this all blows over?
1: Pandemic. What being the ambassador to the Netherlands? No no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean the again the uh with the pandemic uh blowing over, I mean what the interesting thing is, like I said, I think the Dutch have done a lot of things right. Uh I can still go for a bike ride, I can go for a walk, uh, I can go down to the mm-hmm. the stand down the street and I can get croquettes and frites. Mm-hmm. Uh you know and I, if I need to go to a store we can pretty much go anywhere um, but you know I, I think the the thing that we we will miss is or that that I have missed you know actually being going going back into the embassy uh, and seeing the 250 people that work at the embassy uh, and seeing them on a regular basis uh, these are your colleagues these are the people that, Provide you input in terms of this is these are the opportunities that we have in front of us as an embassy community. Uh, these are the things we want to work on. This is how we can get better. Uh, so, not having that uh, daily interaction uh, with the workforce and the community as a whole. You know, we're about a thousand people. Uh, when you take um, the people that work mm-hmm. here, the people that work in the consulate, and then their families, mm-hmm. yeah. and so not having not having the ability to, on a regular basis to uh, to see many of them uh, we you know we've done an a b team so one week uh yeah. you know people yeah. can come to the embassy the next week the others can but we still encourage most people to work so there are people that uh, i haven't really seen other than on my computer monitor that i haven't seen for three months
2: mm-hmm. yeah, well on that note thank you mr ambassador for a wonderful interview okay? <laughs> <laughs> thank
1: well, you. well we'll see <laughs> what your listeners say but yeah. uh, yes no thank you uh good to be with you good to All be right. back with you
2: fantastic